Today's message is called Five Important Bible Words. Now, words that we say are important, aren't they? We, we are careful how we say words. Words can, words can build a person up or words can tear a person down. And so words are very important. It's how we communicate, isn't it, as humans? There's various languages in this world, and, but they each use words. Words that are understood by the people who speak those languages. And I want us to look at five Bible words today. Now, these words, you've all heard them. They're not new. They're not new. I'm not going to bring up any words that are new. But they're five of the most important words that we can find in Scripture. Again, you, you know them. But yet, they are sometimes despised by people who would call themselves religious or who, people who would even say they were Christians. And you mentioned some of these words, not all of them, but some of these words. And people who profess to love the Bible will recoil from them. But yet, they're Bible words. And the definition is not hard to find. You open up a Strong's dictionary or Strong's uh, concordance or Thyers or Young's, and it's very clear what they say. And in reading the context of the verse, you can find out how it's used. But yet, unless the Holy Spirit illuminates the scriptures, they're just words. But these five words for we who are born again believers. We rejoice at these five words. We find comfort in them. We find comfort in them. And again, these words will be familiar with us. But they're scripture. And we can always learn from what the scripture says. I remember doing a study on Psalm 23 in Oregon, back when I lived in Oregon, and reading Brother Henry Mahan's comments on Psalms, and he said, we must never let ourselves come to the point where, where Scripture is commonplace, where the truth of the Scripture is commonplace. Even Psalm 23, we, we know it, right? We've read it, we've heard it read and preached on at, at sometimes funerals. A lot of people like to preach a funeral service at, with Psalm 23. And so we, we're all familiar with it as believers, but never let it become commonplace. Because, you know, I'm, I'm going to do a study again through Psalm 23. Do you know that there's all different, all different things that point to who God is in that psalm? We're going to look at that. It's wonderful. It would be down the road a little bit, but, but I'm planning on that. And it's wonderful, I'll tell you. Start looking at the names of the God in Hebrew and all that and, and finding out what they mean. It's absolutely amazing. The Bible is full of gems that we have not yet learned. You've heard me mention a few times from the pulpit that if we feel like we've arrived, we're in, we're in big trouble, aren't we? We're in big trouble. So let's look at these five Bible words. Five Bible words. Turn, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 
The first Bible word is elect or election. Elect or election. A lot of folks say, well, I've already learned that. But have you really sat and pondered the truth of election? The truth of how God's love has been set upon us from eternity? And in that love, because of that love, he chose us in Christ? Before the world was? Before he even spoke anything into existence? When God was just God and he was content being God? Pink said that. In the silence of eternity, God was God and he was quite content being God. He didn't need anything. And yet he manifested and, and created this world for our glory. or for, not for, for his glory, I'm sorry. For us to enjoy and for his glory. Not for our glory at all. No, but for his glory, right? To manifest his glory. You look up in the stars, you see the stars at night, and it's just incredible. It's just for the glory of God. For us to look at, too, and enjoy and go, look what the Lord's done. Look what he's done. Great Lakes. No one around here, you talk to people in other states, you talk about the Great Lakes being like inland oceans. They're like, what are you talking about? Come and look. Those are magnificent. And they manifest the glory of God. Now, remember this, too. If you take out Christ from election or us being elect, there's no, there's no election. If we're not chosen in Christ, we're not saved, are we? And that's, that's the wonder of election, too, as you start to dig into it. The fact that, that we weren't even born, and yet the Scripture says God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. We know that from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, right? Very clear. Look at this in 1 Thessalonians chapter, two verses, or chapter 1, verses 2 to 5. You know, when Adam fell, we all fell in him. And, and this is where a lot of folks get it wrong. If you get it wrong at the fall, you get it wrong with it all. We fell. We were dead in trespasses and sins. When Adam fell, we fell. We were dead spiritually. Come out of the womb alive physically, but spiritually just dead. Absolutely dead. But praise be to God that long before the fall, Long before the fall, God chose the people in Christ. Huh. Did you know that before the Lord saved you? You know, before the Lord saved me, I didn't even know what... I, I thought election was going to an election and voting for somebody. Right? But that's what you do, right? You, now you cast a vote. But God didn't just cast a vote for us. He chose us in Christ. And that's what that word elect means, is to choose. Look at this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse, or chapter 1. Why do I keep saying? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 to 5. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, beloved, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. 
So we see the word election is a Bible word. Right? So, so think of this. If a person has a problem with election, they have a problem with God, don't they? If a person has a problem, we saw, we saw the elect angels in our study this morning. So people are fine usually when, you know, well, God chose angels. Well, that's okay. But it says here, your election to God, and the Greek word there, it, it means you're, you're chosen. Your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only. So, so to those who are not the elect, the Bible comes to, the preaching of the gospel comes to them in word only. There's no power there. It's not made effectual. That's what, that's what we mean when we say effectual calling. The word comes with power. And that power only comes from the Holy Spirit of God. It doesn't come from a decision. It doesn't come from anywhere in us. It comes from the, the Spirit of God. For our gospel came not only not, not unto you in word only, but also in power. There's the key right there. The power of the Holy Spirit of God. And in the Holy Ghost. And in much assurance. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Now go to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 if you would. And I'm going to read John 15 while you're, while you're turning there. John 15 verse 16. The scriptures declare this. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. What? That's what Scripture says, right? So you mean God, you mean Christ actually, God the Father chose us? So this is the Master's word. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit. Why? Because you're in the vine. That's the passage where he's talking about, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And in, the, in, in that section, he says these words that we should just burn to our hearts. Without me, you could do nothing. We can't do nothing without the Lord. We can't understand the scriptures without the Lord teaching us. But look at this in Ephesians 1.4. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now see the Greek word for chosen there, or the Greek word for chosen there is defined to pick out. So you can't get away from it, can you? And we as the people of God don't want to. But isn't this marvelous to know? You ever, you ever play baseball when you were a kid? Man, the, okay, they divide the kids in the playground right there. And, you know, they pick the strongest guy for every time. Like whoever was captain, they go for the strongest guy because they can knock that ball out, right? And then there'd be the weakest guy. He all got chosen last. But he still got chosen, didn't he? See, God chooses us in Christ not based upon anything in us. Not at all. But we are chosen by him in Christ. It means to choose, to pick out. We are picked out from humanity. And when was this done? Well, is there any, any way that I am, you know, surely I can make a decision about that. When I'm made willing in the day of his power, I do. See? Man's fully responsible for their sin, though, aren't they? Absolutely. A hundred percent. But we would never be saved unless God had chosen us in Christ. 
So election's a wonderful word. And when we consider our election in Christ, it'll leave you in awe. You're going to say, like, like every believer says, why me? We all said that, right? We've all said that. You know why? You know what the answer to that question? Because it pleased God to do so. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Wouldn't that fill your heart with joy? God's chosen you in Christ because it pleased him to do so. God Almighty, who those, those huge lakes are nothing but a drop, just a drop in his hands. Look up at night, see them beautiful stars. That's just nothing, just, just a canopy to him. My, he chose us. He, he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. You know what? Before we could have anything to do with it. That's marvelous, isn't it? Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that wondrous? So no, no, no wonder we, we rejoice in the electing grace of God. No wonder we give him all the glory. No wonder. Romans chapter 9 verse 11 says, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. And this is talking about Jacob and Esau. They're not even born yet. God's already made a choice. When were you and I chosen? Way before we were born. Eh? In eternity past. Just marvel at that. Just marvel at that truth. We were included in salvation's plan. And it was all according to the purpose and will of God. Now, do we know who the elect are? No, we have no idea, right? Therefore, we preach the gospel to all, don't we? And say, come to Christ. Flee to Christ. We know that, that if he makes you will, and you're going to run to him. <laughs> and that's our hope. Have hope for your family members and friends as long as they're breathing. Right? Bruce Crabtree said that to me a long time ago. Hope for my family as long as they're breathing. Oh, amen. The second word I'd like us to look at is predestination. Now remember too, you take out Christ and there's no predestination. Just as you take out Christ, there's no election. There's no salvation. Well, you take out Christ and there's no predestination. Because what is predestination? Well, people often confuse predestination with election. Predestination means we're, we're, being, we're predestinated to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what that means. Election is we're chosen to salvation. A lot of people get that mixed up, though, with predestination. Oh, I'll ask you, any believer, do you want to be conformed to Christ? Amen. <laughs> we do, don't we? Now, we don't ever see our growth that way. It's just like when we looked at that study about those stones being made ready they were for the temple. They were all hewed and, and, and cut and hammered on away from Jerusalem. And then they were taken to Jerusalem and they fit perfectly in. We're being hewed on right now. We're being chipped away. 
God's conforming us to the image of Christ while we're here on this earth. And we're stones being worked upon, beloved. And when that stone is ready, up to glory we go. Here people say, well, they died before their time. No, they didn't. Not, no. No. Not, <laughs> no. Everybody has an appointment, eh? But for the believer, that stone was ready to be fit into the holy temple, heavenly temple. So predestination is God's sovereign arrangement of all affairs of the universe from eternity as well. His everlasting, unchangeable determination of all things by which he secures the salvation of his elect, both adopted sons and daughters. And predestination, again, deals with being conformed to the image of Christ as well. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 49, or 46, I'm sorry. And then we'll turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll look at the word predestined. Look at this in Isaiah 46, 9 to 11. Our God knows the end from the beginning, doesn't he? he know, and he knows everything in between too, doesn't he? Right? He knows it all. Nothing catches him by surprise. Absolutely nothing Catches him by surprise. Things often catch us by surprise, but nothing catches God by surprise. And in Isaiah here, it says, verse 9 to 11 in Isaiah 46, Remember the former things of old, for I am God. That's a declaration. That's not up for debate. He's declaring who he is. He says, I'm Jehovah. I'm Elohim. I'm the strong and mighty one. And there's none else. Look at that. There's no other God. There's only one true and living God. This is a declaration of who he is. I am God and there is none like me. Now marvel at this. That's the God who chose us in Christ in eternity. The one true living God. And he says this. This, this is what our God can do. Declaring the end from the beginning. He already knows how it's all going to wrap up. Now think of that. What comfort that can bring you and I as believers today, right now. As we're going through this world, as we're going through this week. Think of the comfort that we can get from this. Knowing that, that nothing this week is going to catch my God by surprise. And he's... Everything that's come my way is for my good and for his glory. Oh, if I could just live in that. But the flesh, the flesh, the flesh, right? Lord, give us grace. Give us grace just to keep that at the forefront of ourselves, for ourselves. Look what he can do, though. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done in his prophecies. He prophesies in the Old Testament things that come to pass hundreds of years before. He, his son is prophesies is coming into this world and then he comes into this world. Why? To save his people from their sins. 
The thing, look at this, the things that are not yet done. Remember in Isaiah, we've looked at it many times as a passage that talks about the, the Messiah and it says, he shall not fail. That was, that's written like four or five hundred years before Christ even comes. <laughs> Did he fail? Nope. No. He accomplished eternal redemption, didn't he? He obtained eternal redemption for us. It's wonderful. It says, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God does whatever he pleases. And there's no one who can tell him or say, what are you doing? No one. He doesn't need counselors. He doesn't even need us. And yet by his mercy and his grace, he uses means, doesn't he? Right? We heard a preacher preaching the gospel, didn't we? And the Lord used those words by the power of God, and we were regenerated, born again. Now we believe. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executed my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. Look at this. So he speaks it. Now, sometimes we speak things, but we don't have the power to do it, right? Does God have that problem? Absolutely not. He wouldn't be God if he did, right? If he couldn't do what, what pleases him, and if he couldn't, he couldn't accomplish what, what, what he says he does, he wouldn't be God. And it says here, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. Okay, think of this. Scripture says, Christ was manifested to take away our sins. He's spoken it, right? And in him was no sin. Did he take away our sins? Hallelujah, he did, didn't he? Could we take away our sins? Nope. No power, right? He did it once. Once, dying on the cross in our room and place. And that was predestinated by God to, to occur. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. Now, sometimes I just sit and marvel at the fact that God's chosen me. And I look back in my life and I marvel at how that God included me in this plan of redemption. It was planned and purposed by God. It, it's just, it's incredible. If you sit back and look at your life, and even before you were saved, it, it'll amaze you at how many times you can look back and go, the Lord protected me then. He took care of me then. Even before I was saved. Why? Because I was always one of his. <laughs> look at this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. This is for every believer. Having predestinated us, born again, blood-washed believers, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Look at that. And then, you know what predestinated means there in the Greek? It means to limit or mark out beforehand. To limit or mark out beforehand. To design definitely beforehand. Ordain. Well, doesn't the scripture say that as many as were ordained to eternal life believed? Yes, it does. And then look at verse 11 in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him, that's God again, 
who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. He works things out to the counsel of his own will. Now, we're made willing, aren't we, to flee to Christ, but it's all according to the will and purpose of God. It says this in Romans chapter 8, 29, For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, here are the benefits of predestination. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. In whom he called, them he also justified. In whom he justified, them he also glorified. It's all, this is amazing grace. So why would anyone want to argue against predestination when it's in the scriptures? Because we're proud. Because we're sinners. Because we think salvation should be about something we do. In our natural state. Salvation's all about what the Lord's done. Isn't that wonderful? That's why he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And we just look to him, beloved. It's wonderful. Listen to these words in Acts. Remember, the word predestination means ordained. Acts 13, verses 47 to 48. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. When they heard the preaching of the gospel, they were glad. Salvation in Christ for us too? <laughs> Not just for the Jews? No. And glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life, believed. And then it says, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. They just went out telling everybody about what Christ had done for them. <laughs> Isn't it marvelous? It's wonderful. They're as excited as we are about the gospel. It's wonderful. The third Bible word I'd like us to consider is redemption. Again, you take out Christ and, and uh, there's no redemption. These words are so important, beloved, is redemption. How are we... How are we redeemed? Well, by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Redemption is the ransom of chosen sinners who were elected in Christ, right? And who were predestinated to be conformed to the image of God's Son were ransomed, chosen sinners, from under the curse of God's broken law, which we broke again, right? We're fully responsible for our sin, aren't we? Right? We're not robots, no, we're, we're, if a man goes to hell, he deserves to go to hell. If a man goes to heaven, it's undeserved mercy and grace. Right? Henry used to say, if a man goes to hell, it's all because of him. And if a, if a man or woman goes to heaven, it's all because of God. Right? Yeah. Redemption is accomplished how? By a sacrificial substitutionary satisfaction of God's justice and law. So God's justice and law must be satisfied. It must be. There's no, it has to be satisfied. God wouldn't be a just God if his law and justice wasn't satisfied. Right? You've often heard me say, if you go to a judge and he just lets you off, and you, 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 
you had murdered somebody and just said, well, okay, you can go ahead and go out. That wouldn't be a just judge, would it? Not at all. Not at all. But God must be just. His, his justice must be satisfied. His law, his law must be fulfilled. Well, it can only be done by the substitute, right? The law says the soul that sins that must die. And the justice of God demands satisfaction. Again, or God wouldn't be just, right? So how can God be just then and the justifier? Only in Christ. So God's law is upheld. Remember he said, I came to what? Fulfill the law? Not abolish it, right? He didn't come to take the law away. He came to fulfill the law. And he's sinless though. So who's he fulfilling the law for then? His elect. Who's he the substitute for? When he's on that cross and that sin is laid upon him, our sin. And he's still sinless. And that our sin is laid upon him. And he's bearing the wrath of God. Who's he bearing the wrath of God for if he's sinless? For us. For we who are his people. And that wrath has fallen upon him because God's law and justice must be satisfied. Must be. It has to be. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. 1 Peter 1.18 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained. When was he foreordained? He's a lamb slain from before the foundation of the world, isn't he? He was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for... And we are purchased and delivered by the precious, precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those in Christ cannot be bought into condemnation ever. Yeah, that's glorious, isn't it? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. God didn't spare his son. He delivered them up for us all, for all his people. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? We have all things in Christ, don't we? All spiritual blessings in Christ. Who, who, therefore, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Remember what we looked at that word justified? Rendered righteous. It's God who renders us righteous by the righteousness of Christ which is imputed to us. Isn't that wonderful? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall anything separate us from the love of God? Shall anything separate from, from he who has redeemed us with his precious blood? Shall anything separate us from him? Nothing. Nothing. Not even death. Because then we go into his presence, don't we? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what redemption is defined as in the Greek? It's defined as this. A deliverance. A deliverance procured by the payment of a ransom. A deliverance then that is only, only comes to us by the payment of a ransom. Job said, I've found a ransom. Have you found a ransom? Amen. You know who Job's ransom was? Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> I found the ransom. <laughs> it's the Lord. He's done it all. He's done it all. Ephesians 1, 7 says this, in whom we have redemption. See, it's a, again, it's a Bible word, redemption. So a, a deliverance obtained by a payment of a ransom. In whom we have redemption through his blood, through the shed blood of Christ, it's paid that which God's demanded. The forgiveness of sins, according which is the result, the forgiveness of all our sins, according to what? The riches of his grace. The redemption we have is in Christ. We're a purchased possession in Christ. And the purchase price of our redemption is the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the result of this wonderful redemption is that we have forgiveness of all our sins. A full, free forgiveness of all our sins. God's law and justice that, that rightly had a claim on us no longer has a claim on his people in Christ. We're purchased. It's finished. It's already done. That's, that goes back to what Brother Tim James was saying, that, that when, we, when we preachers stand up, we're preaching what God's already done for his people. And the Holy Spirit makes that effectual, doesn't he? It's already done. And I ask you, if a work's already done, can you add anything to it? You can't, can you? When you finish something that you set out to do, and it's finished, and it's a job that if you can't add anything else to it, then it's done, isn't it? Work's done, beloved. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. And we love to proclaim it now, don't we? <laughs> Which, oh my. And again, the source of this wonderful redemption is according to the riches of God's grace. The fourth Bible word I'd like us to look at is born again. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 3. Very important word. Two very important words. I remember talking to folks, and oftentimes, you know, you run into people who are, I, like I said, when I used to go out in the streets and evangelize, and I'd run into people, and they'd say, well, I've, I've been a Christian my whole life. Right? You're like, what? That's, that's, that's not biblical. What do you mean? No, I've... I've 
I've been, I went to church my whole life. I was raised in the church. And, and, and then we'd always ask them, are, are you born again? Well, what, what do you mean born again? Are you born again? That's what the scripture says. What do you mean? And they, they would normally have the same kind of reaction like Nicodemus said. See, we're not born Christians. No one's born a Christian. We're born sinners. And we must be saved. And this, again, is a, this is a biblical word. Two biblical words here. From the Master's lips himself. Look at this in John chapter 3. Now, regeneration is the new birth. It means to be born again. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered, Look, look at how our Lord is. He's, he just, you know, he's so gentle with some and then he's so blunt with others, right? And don't forget who Nicodemus was. He was a teacher. He was a, he was a Pharisee. He was a, a man looked upon in, in Israel as, you know, a very learned man. And in contrast this to the lady at the well, if you get a chance, read, read the next chapter when he meets the lady at the well and how gentle he is with her. But with, with Nicodemus here, he's going to be a little blunt with Nicodemus. So Nicodemus is heaping praise on him a little bit there, right? You notice that? We know you're a man sent from God. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, Right? Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Boom. Now look at the following words here. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he's old? Now that's a natural man's response there, isn't it? How can I be born, born again when I'm old? He's looking at things from a natural perspective, isn't he? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Well, of course the answer is no. Now look what our Lord says to him again. Verily, verily, I say unto thee. Twice now he's saying this. Except the man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he says here, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must. Look at that. It's not, well, you know, you must be born again. It's essential. See how important these words are? We know them, but there's so much more to them, isn't there? This is essential. Redemption's essential, isn't it? Election's essential. Predestination's essential. Because they're all in Christ. Now, this is the words of the Master here. He said, you must be born again. See, so a person says, well, I've been to church my whole life, and I was raised in the church, and I'm a Christian. Are you born again? If they say, well, no. You say, well, you must be born again. That's the words of the master. Think of how many people out there who are deceived. Thinking, well, I went to church or I became a member of the church or, you know. 
Or I was baptized, like the Church of Christ, they say you have to be baptized to be saved. They say, well, I was baptized. Not going to save you. You must be born again. Now turn to Colossians chapter 2. Now in the, in the Greek there, the word being born means being born from above. It's not speaking of a physical birth. The Greek word says being born from above, from a higher place. So the Lord, again, wasn't talking about a physical birth. No. He's talking about being born from above. How does that come about? God makes sinners alive in Christ, beloved. How? By regenerating us. Look at this in Colossians chapter 2. Verses 10 to 14. And ye, now let this, let this sink home, beloved. And ye are complete in him. That's a whole message by itself. <laughs> That's a whole lot of messages by itself. It's complete in it. Look at that. Live there. Live in that. You're complete in him. Oh, God, give us grace to live in that which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision, now here's the new birth, in, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That's an operation of God. It's an operation of God. Buried with him in baptism, wherein you are risen with him through the faith of the, look at this, operation of God. You must be born again. It's an operation of God. You must be. Who raised him from the dead. So he's, he comes to this world, the sinless sacrifice. He lives a perfect life. Then he dies in our ruined place, satisfying the law and justice of God. Then he's buried. Then he rises again. And where is he right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, isn't he? Interceding for us. And what do we say? Praise his mighty name, don't we? Wonderful. So re regeneration is the actual deliverance of the elect, redeemed sinners, purchased sinners from spiritual death. We've already been purchased by Christ, right? And so those who have been purchased by Christ at Calvary's cross are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So the Father purposed our salvation. The Son purchased our salvation, Right? And the Holy Spirit makes it effectual, doesn't he? Salvations of the Lord. There it is. Right there before us. Oh my. And this again is all done by the effectual, powerful, and irresistible grace of God the Holy Spirit. The last word I'd like us to look at is purpose. 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 God does things on purpose. On purpose. This can become a very comforting word for we who are the people of God. Now, providence is a glorious and mysterious working. And our sovereign God is sovereign over all the universe. He rules it all. There's nothing out of place. Not an atom, not a molecule is out of place. 
and there's not a molecule in this whole universe that's not under his control. Nothing. Nothing. All things visible and invisible are all under his control. And God does things on purpose. Two verses I'd like us to look at. Romans 8.28 and Ephesians 3.11. So if you put your finger in those two. God does things on purpose. Nothing ever catches him by surprise. There's no chance or luck. He does everything on purpose. Including choosing us in Christ. Redeeming us. Christ redeeming us. Being born again by the Holy Spirit of God. It's all on purpose. It's all on purpose. Look at this in Romans chapter 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are what? The called according to his purpose. God's people are those who are called according to his purpose. He governs the universe. How? According to his purpose, right? The whole universe, everything you see, he governs it according to his purpose. He raises up nations. He raises up leaders according to his purpose, right? He elects people in Christ according to his purpose. He predestinates his people in Christ according to his purpose purpose he redeems his people by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ according to his purpose he regenerates us you must be born again by the power of God the Holy Spirit according to his purpose and then he keeps us doesn't he he keeps us He keeps us looking to him according to his purpose. And praise be to God, we are saved according to his purpose. Purpose is a very important word, isn't it? It's a biblical word. God doesn't do things by accident. If you're saved, you're saved according to his purpose. That's wondrous. That's incredible. Me? Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11. God doesn't do anything by mistake or by accident. He does everything on purpose. He purposed to save a people, and those people shall be saved. And they, they, they were, their, their salvation was obtained at Calvary's cross, and then you must be born again. According to God's purpose. All things are done according to God's purpose. And it's God who's purposed to save the people. It's God who's done that in Christ. And, and why does he save us in Christ? For his glory. For his honor. For his praise, right? He gets all the glory. He receives it all. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11. Now, think of this, too. We don't often think of this, but think of this. 
let this, let this just warm your heart this week. You are saved according, and I am saved as a believer. Both of us as believers. If you're a believer, you and I are saved according to the eternal purpose of God. So if something comes up this week, say, well, the eternal God has saved me according to his eternal purpose, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to rest in you, Lord, because you are the eternal God. And you've done these things according to your purpose. Look at this. Look at this here. Ephesians 3.11. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here we see that little word purpose is pretty important, isn't it? Because God has an eternal purpose. So these five Bible words are ones which every Christian should know, and we know them. We've been taught by the Holy Spirit of God what they are, but never come to the place where you say, well, I I know, I already know that. Don't ever come to that place. Just dig deeper. Start start looking at cross-references for election, and it'll just make you, or redemption, it'll just make you, it'll make you cry out to God in thankful. Thankful for his mercy and his grace. These five Bible words point us also to what? What what have these five Bible words done? They pointed us to the redemptive work of Christ, haven't they? As we've been going through all these, they pointed us right to Christ. They all find their center in him. All of them. God has purposed to save us in Christ, right? We're born again by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, according to the, the purpose of God. Uh, we're redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. So it's Christ who's, who's purchased us. We're um, predestinated to be um, um, conformed to the image of who? Christ. And who are we chosen in? Christ. See, so these five words, they've all centered us around Christ, haven't they? And these, these, five, these five precious truths are like, like a spoke, these five spokes that go out from the, from the one center. And there are, you take Christ out of any one of them and there's no gospel. There's no good news. Isn't that amazing? They're like, they're like a wheel with five spokes. Five precious spokes. Hey? <laughs> five precious truths, beloved. Oh my. And, who, and where do they flow from? Our great God, amen, Elohim, Jehovah, the Lord of hosts, mighty one of Israel, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. Praise.